Today we are continuing the next section of Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew 5, verse 13 through 16. Since uh, the Beatitude has been really powerful, in some sense a very paradigm shifting in a good sense for many of us, I'd like us to think about the structure of the Sermon on the Mount in general. So let's begin with this. The Sermon on the Mount is beginning with Jesus' opening words in verse 11, 1 to 2. And the Sermon on the Mount begins with the inner transformation of being. The Christian righteousness is inside out rather than do something that we become righteous inside. So beatitude. Each one of the beatitude is a a spiritual sanctification process of the Holy Spirit on those who belong to God, belong to the kingdom of God. So these were eight traits of true Christians. And we became audited in spiritual sense. So that's a Christian character. And today is a transitional one, which is very important section of the Sermon on the Mount. Is a Christian is it, the theme of the section is a Christian influence. Before we go into the Christian righteousness, our conduct, Christian conduct, and doing, it is about our role. And let me be very clear about the interrelationship between the Christian character and Christian influence. It is actually, when you think about salt and light, what does salt and light is basically refers to the eight beatitude. And with that, Jesus continues on the transformed external way of outwardly living life but it still is deeply rooted in inside-out transformation. So, allow me to read the text one more time, since this is a new section. Matthew 5, verse 13 below. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness to be, to be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under, under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works And give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And notice that Jesus say, be the salt. And try to live as the light. And this is a declaration of Jesus. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. So in a sense that what Jesus is doing is 
the beatitude of Christian character, he's calling that as our saltiness and our, our brightness. But as a master teacher, Jesus used the two most common things of his day. Salt. Salt is very important, especially people in his town and Galileans. and Many of them, many of his disciples are fishermen. And they were fully aware of the important role of salt. To us, when you think about salt, we think about seasoning first. Because when you, when you want to have food, oh, it needs some salt. And we think about a little tiny jar for salt shaker. And that's a modern way of looking into it. If you look at Jesus' uh, uses of this analogy, the salt was uh, thick enough and much of it is thrown under the, in the street if it's lost saltiness trample on their people's feet. We're talking about the purpose of preservative, preventing the decaying of fish. Also meat, too, but a lot of fishermen. Remember the time that Jesus commanded uh, Simon Peter to throw the net on on his right, and he caught so so many fish. And then as he's bringing up into the ground and, and he needed help. So unless he was able to sell the fish right that morning, somehow he needs to preserve it at least one, over the night or two in a hot summer. And there is no refrigeration. And there is no even ice in the deep tunnel of cave anywhere. So the only way they were able to preserve the meat from decaying, a fish from decaying, was rubbing the salt on the fish. And some of you are maybe too young to remember, but I remember my back in the days when and back in Korea, and walking through the street, I've seen so many store owners, especially seafood market, covered with the boxes, the fish covered with thick sea salt. That's the only way they were able to maintain so that was the one analogy. Jesus is calling us, you are the salt. And the second analogy is, you are the light. When you think about Jerusalem, Jerusalem is a naturally highly elevated land. And they called it a, a city of God and city of Zion and city of David. Why? Because even strategically, in terms of battle, it was the most strategic, adventurous, adventurous, advantageous ground. Because you could see the enemy coming up. And always easier to fight and to defend your... And they had a wall, city wall. On one side of that was a 
complete drop of cliff, and there is no way the enemy can attack from that side. And as you're looking down, and because of that, when David and his army took over that fortified city, and and that Jerusalem was a very supernaturally victorious in some sense. Okay, so now, now knowing that, think about the highly, high elevated land. So that's why the song of ascent, ascending, the people who were called Israelites, they, they were commanded to travel to Jerusalem, to the temple, at least three times a year, the, the, the festivals and feasts. And as, you're, as they're going up, it was naturally ascending and became a songs of ascent. Psalm 121 to all the way to Psalm 132. So think about, visualize. You could almost visualize, right? And the priests, Levi's, will carry buckets of oil on top of their temple higher ground of that and then they will light the fire and the fire will rise up so high the city will city was lit and then from miles away not only you could see Jerusalem because it's high but it's glowing the whole city was glowing and that's the picture of a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. And then he takes that in a personal way. Then when you even have a lamp in your, in your house, you don't put it under the basket. You put it on a stand so that it will light. It will shine and it will illuminate the room. So you must have salt in this. Otherwise, it will be thrown to the street. It's useless. You must shine and illuminate where you are. Otherwise, your light is useless. It is powerful illustration. We could think upon that over and over. But for us to think about more in a way that we could meditate together, I will present Three implications from this text. Number one, implication is the world is decaying, dark place. This is a presupposition of Jesus is saying. The world is not getting better morally. The world is not getting brighter in terms of their spiritual enlightenment. The world is getting darker. And we even... A sense that as we mourn and really in too close of a comfort in San Bernardino that another shooting, massacre shooting happened. What, what do we think of? What, there's so much of nonsensical debates going on, on online. But the truth is, it is a dark place. And many of us think about 
what do we teach our kids about what to think of these? There is no reason for shooting. I mean, in terms of personal grudge or any kind of motive, but it is a random. We're just grateful that God saved us. We happen to be here, not over there. In some sense, in Paris was a little far away from us, and ISIS in the East, Middle East is still a little bit far away, but it feels like in the neck of our neighborhood, although it's about two hours away from here. Are we better in terms of our marriage, family life? Are we better in terms of our ethical standards? No. And there is absolutely, in some sense, the Christians are voicing the concerns, almost even with a little disgust about our nation and even our government in the Western world. But if we look at this, first thing that we need to think about is you know that where's the meat commercial, Wendy's? We should think about where's the salt when these things are happening? Where is the salt? Jesus called us and many Christians and many people in America still confess and professes, profess that they are Christian. And we do confess and profess that we are Christian. Where is the saltiness we should think about? In terms of directionlessness, in terms of confusion, there are so many voices within the Christendom, the church. There are all kinds of different ways of looking at things. Even scripture is questioned in a very difficult way in a personalized way. What, what do we think of about the authority of Scripture? How do we become the light of this world? The implication number two is that true Christians are fundamentally different from the world. Eugene Peterson, one of my favorite writers, talks about a naked noun. He said a naked noun is a healthy noun. Why is that? Because you don't need to use adjective to make that noun somewhat qualified and clarified. And Christians became not so healthy naked noun anymore. Hence the reason I have to put the word true Christians. Because if you are pseudo-Christian and is seemingly uh, not having the saltiness and brightness, we could really profess to be a Christian, but fundamentally having no difference. 
the central theme of this passage, and Jesus is pointing to Christians are fundamentally different, distinctive from this world. And which results, a conclusion comes out this way. Implication number three, the difference, this difference is a source of Christians' influence in the world. So this is the confusion we are facing today. Including our church, we are tempted. Christians and churches are tempted to be relevant, to be liked, embraced by the mainstream world, by, by, by the mainstream media to be evaluated as something good thing. In some sense, it is true, but when you think about it, is we're talking about clashes of values. As John Stott mentioned, the quote that I mentioned last week, instead of transvaluation, we are going to continually being conformed to the worldly values. The actual tool we have is our difference. And should we say radical difference? Once again, not because we are weird, not because we are fanatical, but because Jesus' value is radically different. Allow me to share this quote one more time. And in the beginning of our uh, Thinking Rightly series, I used that uh, quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones. Actually, that quote from his book on the Sermon on the Mount. And Martin Lloyd-Jones writes, The glory of the gospel is that when the church is absolutely different from the world, she invariably attracts it. It is then that the world is made to listen to her message. Though it has hated it at first, it is how revival comes. That must also be true of us as individuals. It should not be our ambition to be as much like everybody else as we can, though we happen to be Christian, but rather to be as different from everybody who is not a Christian as we can possibly be. Our ambition should be to be like Christ. The more like him, the better. And the more like him we become, the more we shall be unlike everybody who is not a Christian. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones is right. And there are many facets of explaining our vision, church vision, this is it. We want to retain saltiness and radical difference as our mission of the church and as our vision of the church. Then we will impact, first of all, in our lives, in our friends' lives, and our world, including the unreached people group. What is the role in salt and light? And let's uh, make some uh, observations so that this will be helpful. And we want to actually jump into the application right away. 
Because in, in one sense, I, as I am meditating, the problem that came to me is that uh, it becomes too conceptual. And not that we are hesitating um, to meditate deeper. That's what we ought to do. But we need to know the clear direction what the Holy Spirit is really prompting us to do, at least the pointing of the Holy Spirit. Always, honest, first step for that good application is observation. We cannot skip this part. So let's think about salt. And once again, as I mentioned, salt has a role of a seasoning food, as well. And so uh, people will think about uh, uh, where Christians go, we need to make that uh, group more colorful and fun and seasoned in that sense. It's a good, good way, I, I think Christians ought to do that. But what Jesus is driving at here is mainly on preserving decay moral corruption, the loosening of ethical standards that was issued by God's will. That, that doesn't change because the culture changes and time changes. And secondly, when you think about this salt, it bites. So when you're on a camping and you got caught and you want to make sure that the, some kind of virus or the, it doesn't get infection, and some people use salt and rub it on that. Have you tried? It hurts. How do I know that? I, I didn't do that to myself. But because I sweat a lot when I get cut, and the salt goes in, I mean, the, my sweat goes in. Oh, so... Jesus didn't say, you, that you are the sugar of the earth. <laughs> but as I am understanding, we don't want to be weird. We don't want to be fanatical. But we need to give up. Part of persecution is desire to be liked by the world, desire to be approved by our non-Christian friends and non-Christian companies and non-Christian organizations around us. That is devastatingly different from world, the God's standard. And when we say those things even humbly, or even hold our ground, it bites. Have you ever run into a situation that uh, um, maybe woman's locker room, that might not happen. When you go to health club, the guys just have this F-bombs and s as if there's a part of things that they have to use it in order to say anything. And to listen to that, and not using anything, any cuss word, and sometimes you, 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 look, you sound wimpy. Worse than that, what about these innuendos, sexual innuendos, and then everybody's laughing, 
in your cubicles and in front of the water fountain. And then you have to quiet and not participate. And there is a temptation at least, oh, I don't want to be seen as a disagreeing anything. And ethical jokes, racial slurs, and funny things. Salt bites. Also, it's useless if saltness is lost. That I know very personally. My brother, um, eventually he had a kidney failure and had a transplanted kidney over 20 years, and now he's on dialysis again. But back in his younger days, in, you know, I fell for him. Because like him, like, like me, he loved eating. He, he's more of an artist when it comes to, I just eat a lot. He likes good things. But when he got a kidney infection, and doctor ordered special diet with no salt. And I kind of tried whatever he's eating. It was, oh, I almost threw up. Because it, it just doesn't have any taste. And then he find out by researching there is a salt replacement called, they call it a cold salt. It's basically um, a fake salt. But it doesn't taste like salt at all. So he tried to use it and he finally gave up uh, and threw it away. But when it comes to sugar substitute, we have um, equal, Splenda. And, and even before that, these were somehow better and then you know, other things are more dangerous and people are staying away from them. We have so many different kinds of, and they're even stronger in terms of mimicking the taste of sugar, sweetness, right? But when you lose saltiness, it cannot be replaced. And it will be useless to throne. When we lose distinctiveness as a Christ followers, radical difference, Christ followers, it is useless. We cannot replace by with relevance or savviness or hipster style of cool worship and the way you dress at all. So when it comes to salt, the focus is on moral decay. So we're talking about social action. Social action means that we are rubbing ourselves into that decaying process or that the place that needs to be heard. William Wilberforce was that in, in, in England when no one spoke anything about against slavery. It took him 50 years finally to be heard and three days before his death, the abolition of slavery in Great Britain, finally passed. 
social action is needed. And sometimes social action is attacking the root of it. it. So the people who are working with the city planning and lawyers and and politicians, we need Christians who could work on the root of the problem of social injustice, racial tensions and political uh, things, and even the all the things are going on with the po- police killings. But on the other hand, it is not a social action, but what we call social service. Not necessarily working with the root of the cause and changing the social system or systematic evil from afar is important because you don't get hands dirty, actually, in that sense. But the people like Mother Teresa, it doesn't matter what kind of problem that they have, but they are marginalized. People are ignored, abandoned, and they are dehumanized. And you serve them. You clean their wounds. And in that, in that sense, it is part of the good works that Jesus talked about when it comes to light. There is an overlap into that. So praise God for our little church who has a bunch of young families who have little ones running around. We thought that how can we do anything And because we tend to be more educated, intellectual community, we think about what what would that make any difference if we help out and, you know, hand out a slice of pizza to a homeless person. We need to work on the systematic evil of why that person is on the street. It is very Christian-like when we go on Thanksgiving Day to the Santa Ana Civic Center without questioning serving them. To go to shelter for women and children who are abused and their hiding place sheepfold and you're taking care of their kids while they're having a meeting is beautiful social service we're being sold. So may God continually fan us into that, that we don't become stuck or paralyzed in our all or nothing thinking. In terms of light, it exposes darkness and illuminates space. It brightens the only way out of darkness. And then think about this. As the salt, when the light is most effective, it's when it's pitch dark. When there's complete chaos and uh, lostness and directionless, we are to be light. And it is useless if light is hidden or brightness is lost. And that's why 
Persecution is a part of the cost of real discipleship. So one of the dangers on beatitude, the beatitude number eight, is become obsessed about persecution or not. And actually, that's a byproduct. Our obsession and our pursuit should be righteousness, God's will, what God desires. And if we really follow that with all our heart, where we, wherever we are, there is a cost for that. Even at the expense of persecution or harassment or slander. Or they just leave you out. When they gather together. I share that experience a little bit of my persecution story with my group of friends. I used to be one of the key leaders of that, that group. And now I'm not invited. Because I simply choose not to drink. Um, the focus is confusion and darkness and the good works of bringing. This part of good works is the gospel, sharing the gospel as well. But the good works on this very different way of looking at the good works compared to this world, the radical difference is motive. A lot of celebrities are doing the good things. And when you think about uh, any kind of social justice issue, it's a trendy thing. Whether uh, human trafficking, whether working with the poor, the world vision, adopting kids, and all that is trendy. In some sense, it's easier. But it, is, it, behead, it has become more difficult to obey the command of Jesus and the co- calling us to be the light in the world because our motivation is for the glory of God. So that they may see you and praise you? No. So that they may see you and approve your religion? No. So that they may see you in your good works and give glory to the Lord. So three applications. Number one, we are to retain saltiness and brightness as, as a follower of Christ. And I call it a radical difference. There are three radical things that we need to remember. First radical thing is radical difference. Romans 12 verse 2 is a famous passage. But to give another angle, I, I'm using message translation, which is a paraphrase of Eugene Peterson. He, he puts a different flavor to it. It helps us to think about it even more so. He writes, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You will be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down 
to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you. Develops well-formed maturity in you. So our mission of influencing the world is actually being. Being radically different. Those beatitudes or eight beatitudes are the descriptive differences for us. Number two, we are to go where decay and darknesses, darknesses are. And what I call this is a radical involvement. John 17, verse 15, to 15 and 18, Jesus prays for us before he goes back to the Father. And then his high priestly prayer, the main thrust of his request, begins with verse 15. I do not ask that you, you take them out of the world, but you keep them from the evil one. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. So whenever we say we are missional community, I don't mean only overseas. I don't mean and even uh, going across the ocean, although we ought to do that. But we are talking about starting Monday morning as you're going back to your work instead of looking for only Christian circle and Christian culture and Christian movie, Christian music, where to go, where the darkness and decay are. And I pray that with clarity that God gives us, that we could boldly go the places that is confusing and that is systemically just messed up because Christ has given us saltiness, that he's different. Jesus is the light. We happen to have his light within us. So we become light in the deem, deeming, confusing world. We are to go there. And in some sense, I don't even want to mention about politics. When our kids are asking me about you know, what, what their mom is and dad is political party. And I said, uh, son, dad doesn't belong to any political party. Because in God's eyes, and then some things are better this way and better that way, but they're equally wrong in many different ways. I could have a different attitude while I'm saying it. Because I hesitate to even mention it if I honestly think about it. Maybe our sons and daughters will grow, become salty and brightened in their Christian conviction and radical difference. They may be able to go to the politics without compromising, without getting messed up. To be the salt and the light, even in that 
dark world. Third and lastly, we are to devote our lives to the glory of God through our Christian influence. And I call it a radical self-giving. You see, we are, our obsession is not our effectiveness, our fruit, or our influence. We become well-known now. And even in that sense, I think we need to be very cautious about the smallness of our community. That we may not have a big influence, but we could seek the glory of God with our passion. That God gets the glory, not our satisfaction when we go out to food bank this coming Friday. Or sheepfold, or working with the poor, or going overseas for short terms. The glory of God is our central motive. Matthew 5, 16 is basically part of this passage that continually brings back this motive for us. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. In David's word, in Psalm 115, verse 1, he says, he shouts, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. So even with these three things that I mentioned, we feel like, oh, that's a good message, but we don't feel prompted. So I struggled a lot, and I thought about other examples, and old examples also too. But I suddenly remember the real-life example that I was impacted very recently this year. It's a pastor named by the name of Lee Jong Rock. It's a Korean pastor who made uh, different uh, news articles, and there are several things. I like this one, so let me give you a brief synopsis, and I have a, actually video, two-minute video to share. In Christian Post and, and the opinion section, the reporter by the name of Arena Caruso writes this. What if one person can make a big difference? He can. Meet Pastor Lee Jong-Rock. He is the unlikely lead character in a new award-winning documentary called The Dropbox, which narrates his heroic efforts to save children at risk of dying by abandonment in his native South Korea, inspired by his son with, with a disability, Pastor Lee built a baby box embedded inside of his house that can be opened from both the exterior and the interior to save other vulnerable children. It is padded, heated box with sensors that alert Pastor Lee and his staff when someone places a baby inside. Above the baby box is Psalm 2710. My father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. He didn't expect anyone would actually use it, but the baby started coming. Currently, 
652 babies have gone to his home orphanage named Chusarang, which means God's love. Pastor Lee's own love and compassion drew a 24-year-old broken rich kid from California by the name of Brian Ivey produced this documentary. Some of us from Crossway were able to see the film a few months ago in the theater. I went with, with a little bit of a skepticism in my heart. Oh, there must be one, one person who has a really good noble intention that he wants to make a name out of this kind of a good cause. Boy, was I wrong. I couldn't stop crying watching that uh, film because I saw at the heart of it his suffering. He's identifying with babies abandoned. Starting with his own son who's who cannot function, who's just lying down for he's 20 some years old now. And starting with that, fighting with God, he finally surrendered his heart. And there is group of people who are criticizing him and persecuting him because of the name in the name of the babies need to ha have a legal they need to have parents names and whatnot. We're talking about the kids who will be throwing the trash can to die because of shame, because it's the babies unwanted. Moreover, in the culture that any kind of deformed family, the deformed babies are cursed to your family, they throw the baby away. Let me close with reminders again. There are three things that I mentioned. We are to retain saltiness and brightness as a Christ follower, which is a radical difference. We are to go where decay and darknesses are, which is a radical involvement. And thirdly, we are to devote our lives to the glory of God through our Christian influence, which cost us a radical self-giving like Pastor Lee. In our marriage and, and family life, let's be salt and light. In our work and leisure and marketplaces and places that you go to hang out, Irvine Marketplace, Spectrum, Block, LA Fitness, 24-Hour Fitness, whatever that you go regularly hang out. Let's be salty. Let's shine Christ's light. And social issues, racial, social injustice, and terrorism, fear, and poverty, with a clear direction of the Holy Spirit, let's be Christ-like. And loving the lost and the marginalized, abandoned of the, our society. In all arenas where the saltiness and illumination is needed. May God lead us. May the Holy Spirit give us encouragement and boldness to follow the examples 
like Pastor Lee. Let's pray. Father, we confess our timidity and our concerns for our self-preservation and concerns for our family and kids. And the cost seems too high. We pray that you will bring us your light into our hearts that we will experience transvaluation, that we will begin to see the things in the perspective of God and Jesus, that you care for the poor and the, the least, the abandoned, the last of the society. Use us to be extended little Christ who carries the salt and light within us. And I pray for our children will experience this transformation of values even in this Advent season, as well as our own hearts as well, Lord. We thank you. We pray all these things in the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. Amen.